Let's turn to Genesis 22. There are some passages in the Bible that have such an important message to us that we need to revisit them just to see if there is something helpful and new for us. Now when we come to chapter 22, it's a very familiar passage and we will journey over familiar ground but I hope we can probably, as we do so, just search for one or two hidden gems that will help us and that will encourage us in our Christian walk. Now, one of the key events in the early chapters of the Bible is found in Genesis 22. It involves two of the patriarchs, Abraham and his son Isaac. We're told about Abraham, first of all, in Genesis 11, 26. And then we travel to chapter 25, verse 8, where we are told that he was laid to rest with his wife Sarah in the city of Hebron. Years later, Isaac would be buried with his mother and father. Abraham lived for 175 years and his life covered a quarter of the book of Genesis and it was a life of excitement. It was a life of adventure but at times it was a life of great danger. But throughout it all Abraham was a man who cast himself upon the faithfulness and the promises of God. Now I want to just consider this major event in the life of God's servant which tested the depth of his trust and obedience to God. In chapter 22 we see a man's faith tested to the very limit and a test that he had to face alone. My first point, the time of his trial. Well, let's just go back about 18 years. Now, Sarah had miraculously given birth to Abraham's son, Isaac, who at this time would be about three years of age. He had a stepbrother called Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of Hagar, an Egyptian slave. Ishmael at this time would be around 17 years of age. Now Ishmael is clearly presenting a real threat to the right of inheritance which belonged to Isaac. His bullish attitude was a real concern to Sarah. And she pleads and begs with her husband to cast out Ishmael along with his Egyptian mother. 
Now, Abraham is very reluctant to comply with Sarah's request. Not only because of his natural ties to Ishmael, because also the law forbids the expulsion of a slave wife and her children. But despite all that, God clearly instructs Abraham to do as Sarah says. But also at the same time, assures Abraham that it is through Isaac that the Hebrew nation will come. He also assures him in 21.13 that the nation will come through Ishmael. So, chapter 21.14, Ishmael and his mother are sent away. And they wander through the desert region. And in time, the water that was given to them runs out. But God meets with them. And God provides water. And personally again assures Hagar that Ishmael will be the father of a great nation. Now during all this time, Isaac is growing from infancy through childhood into teenage years. Isaac has become a great joy to Abraham and Sarah, but that joy is going to be short-lived. Can I put this thought to you? Men and women of great faith must expect to face difficult trials. Abraham is about to face the greatest test of all. Isaac's life is going to be on the line. Let me turn to the second point. The author of the trial. We come into these words here. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Better translation would be that God tested Abraham. Now, this test was not going to lead him into sin. But it was to discover how strong and firm his faith in God truly was. Now, Abraham had faced storms in the past, many of them. This wouldn't be another storm. This would be a tsunami. Greater than anything he had previously encountered. Remember how God tested Job? Yes, Job, we're told, was a righteous man. But could he become a man after God's own heart? He was a good man. But could he truly be a great man? Strong faith often comes by strong trials. Let's return to Abraham for a moment. 
There's an important point to note from this first verse. God knows his people by name. In Luke chapter 22, 31, just before Peter's denial, Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you, Simon. In John's account of the resurrection in chapter 20, Jesus meets Mary Magdala. She thought it was the gardener. In verse 16, Jesus says, Mary. Abraham had heard God's voice calling his name on a number of previous occasions. When God spoke his name, Abraham had to listen. What would God ask him to do this time? Where would God ask him to go? He listens carefully to what God says. Look, I want to just emphasize this before I leave this point. God knows all his people by name. If you're one of his children, he knows you by name. You are personally important to him. You are his child. He knows you. I find that a wonderful thought, a comforting thought, that the great God of heaven, the Almighty One, the One who created heaven and earth and everything in it that has all power and majesty and glory knows me by name. If that's so, we must listen when he speaks and we must act upon what he says. Because, you see, there's one thing I've discovered about God. You never know what he may ask you to do. And you never know where he may ask you to go. So can I make a plea with you, whatever your age, never ask God to guide your steps unless you're willing to move your feet. There's an old hymn. We're going to sing it tonight. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Oh, as long as it's not to center of a big city. Oh, as long as it's not overseas. As long as it's not to Iraq or Iran. As long as it's not to Syria. As long as it... Carey didn't probably want to go to India. But God sent him there and he went. We've got to be obedient to whatever God tells us to do. But let's move on now to the trial itself. 
verse 3. I find these the most challenging words of all. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, went unto the place which God had told him. Why? Verse 2. Take now thy son. Just think of these words. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Now, God made his instructions short, very clear and plain. Abraham could not in any way misinterpret what God said in verse 2. You see, I always find this about God. He never wastes words. He has something to say. He says it. Now, I've asked myself this question. Why is God asking Abraham to do this? Could it be that God's assured that Abraham's confidence is resting in Isaac rather than his promises? God may be calling Abraham here to get his priorities in order. Now look, where is our confidence this morning? Is our confidence in our own abilities? Does it rest in other people, even members of our own family? Does it rest in our material possessions? Does it rest in our home? Does it rest in our bank balance? Does it rest in the stock market? I hope not. Does it rest in our pension pot? Where is our confidence this morning? Let me tell you, if it rests in those things, be prepared for a test. God will not share your confidence with another. Whether it be a person or whether it be a thing. And he made that very clear to Abraham. However, Abraham had a major dilemma here, a real dilemma. Although human sacrifice was not unusual among the surrounding Canaanites and the Chaldeans, this request from God would strike him at the very foundation of his faith. God is asking, is God asking for a human sacrifice? It's totally against God's character to do so. But there was something even more important to Abraham. 
this sacrifice which he was asked to perform would threaten the fulfillment of God's promise which was to bring an entire nation through the descendants of Isaac. So how can Abraham reconcile this dilemma? Well, let's first of all consider the person to be offered. Take not your bulls or your lambs. Hmm. Abraham would have been glad to have parted with thousands of lambs, thousands of goats, thousands of bulls. He'd got them. But God wasn't asking for these. I must have your son, Abraham. Not your servants. Not even the steward of your house, Eliezer. I must have your son. Not an adopted one. Not Ishmael. I must have your son. Your only son. Sarah's son. The son whom you love dearly. The son that you waited so long to hold in your arms. I want him. And him only. God couldn't be clearer. There was no mistake whom God was referring to. Can you imagine Abraham's inward response? You know, when I read passages of Scripture, I often just try to put myself in the person's sandals. And just to think, how would I feel if I was Abraham? Surely, God can't be serious. Is my hearing deteriorating so badly? Is this really the Almighty? But speaking to me. Now, if I was in Abraham's sandals, I've got to be honest with you. I'd bring a defense against this. <laughs> I've got a son. And I've got two grandsons. And I love them to bits. And I'd do anything for them if it was possible. And if this was me, I would be bringing a defense against this instruction. I would have a little debate with God about it, just as Job did. I would try and seek some alternative way out of this situation. Look, I, I've read these verses over and over again. And I cannot find anywhere, not even an inkling of Abraham debating with God about it. 
Verse 2 is God's clear instruction. Verse 3 to 6 is Abraham's clear response. And there's only one thing that I see in this whole passage, and that is obedience. And that is all that God asks of us. Unquestioning obedience. The task now before him is to offer his son as a sacrifice. The most difficult task God had ever asked him to perform. You know, there are occasions in our life when God tests our faith. He gives us tasks to do which seem beyond us. I remember we'd only been married a few years. God had given to us two children, very, very young. I think one was 18 months. I'm looking at Catherine now for guidance. <laughs> but one was about 18 months and about three years old. And we were wanting to go into full-time Christian work. But I wanted to do it in Yorkshire. I didn't want to move. I love my county. I love the people of my county. All our family lived around us. I didn't want to move. Catherine didn't want to move. In fact, Catherine didn't know there was anything outside of Yorkshire. But I won't go into that one. But it was a clear thing that God told us. Go south. As far south as you can go. Well, you can't get any further south than Brighton. You discover that to obey God is the best thing in every way. Let me take the second point in this. The place of sacrifice. The land of Moriah. You see, God makes it very clear that this is what you're to do, Abraham. But I'm going to tell you where it's to be done. You're not going to do it on any mountain. You're going to do it on the mountain that I choose. It's not going to be locally in Beersheba. Because here you could do it quickly. I want you to take a long journey. It's going to be a three, four day journey. And I want you to go to Mount Moriah. Plenty of time to contemplate on the way. But when God appoints a place, he makes it possible for us to go there. Why had it to be Mount Moriah? Why couldn't it be a mountain near Beersheba? Because 2,000 years later, on that very same mountain. God would ask of himself the same thing that he asks of Abraham. God says, I one day 
will sacrifice my son. My only son. Not a lamb from the flock. But a lamb after my own heart. It's been our privilege over the years to take groups of people out to the Holy Land. And people have asked, what is the place that strikes me most of all? Yeah, there's some wonderful places to see. But the place that strikes me virtually every time is when we walk from the hotel and we enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I have to be honest with you, I stand there with 30 people in front of me and I have to read the passage where God prays in Gethsemane. And as I read that passage, my eyes just fill. And sometimes I just can't get the words out. Emotion just grips me. Because here it's the foot of Moriah. And one day Jesus would give his life for me at the foot of that very mountain. Third point I'll bring to you. The preparation for sacrifice. Can you not feel for Abraham as he and Isaac climbed those final steps to the place of sacrifice? Remember now, he's 120 years old. His legs are weary. His heart is heavy. And then Isaac asks his father a question. Oh, what a question! Where is the lamb for the sacrifice, Father? In a very short time, Abraham would have to pierce the heart of Isaac. But that question was like a stab to his own heart. God will provide a lamb, my son. And when they arrived, the preparation was made. Throughout this story, Abraham demonstrates obedience. But I want to just for a second or two, just turn our attention to Isaac. You see, I find when I've heard messages on this, it's always been about Abraham. And that's, that's true. That's how it should be. But I can't miss out Isaac here. Isaac would be in his late teens. Isaac at any time could overpower his father. There's no question about that. But Isaac is resigned to this untimely death. He's willing to be bound. He's willing to be laid on the sacrifice altar. In fact, he might have got up there himself. I have a lot of admiration for Isaac. A lot. 
But let's come to the fourth point here. The trial stopped. Abraham is just about to plunge the sharp knife into the heart of his son. But God spoke his name yet again. Not once. Not twice. There are only seven occasions when God calls someone's name twice. Only seven. Four in the old, three in the new. Work it out this afternoon. Abraham! Abraham! Can you imagine the sudden relief that came to Abraham? The sacrifice was stopped. But it was so different 2,000 years later. When Jesus hung on Calvary's cross, God could have called 10,000 angels to rescue his son. But God didn't intervene. He did nothing. Jesus had to endure all the horrors of the cross so that we might be rescued and spared God's anger because of our sin. On that cross, Jesus became my substitute. As he was nailed to that cross, so were my sins. God's anger that should have been directed at me and directed at you was turned away. And it was directed to his son. All the anger was hit in Jesus. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. But I draw to a close. But I just want to say this as I draw to a close. Two things. When God called a halt to the sacrifice of Isaac, we read that God provided Abraham with a ram as a substitute. Now, why a ram? Why not a lamb? Why not a sheep? Why a ram? A few years ago, I was preaching in Derbyshire. And I was right in the country. And over lunch, I was talking to an old sheep farmer. He'd been a sheep farmer for his lifetime. And we got onto this story. And he turned and said to me, you know, John, I've been a sheep farmer now for probably about 60 years, 50 years. He says, and I have never, ever seen a ram caught by its horns. Never. He said, I've talked to other farmers too, especially Christian farmers, and neither have they. Why a ram? 
why caught by its horns? Yes, they're caught by their wool more often than not. But when they pull away, their flesh is bruised and it's torn. Why a ram? The sacrifice that had to be made on that altar that day had to be a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't be a sacrifice of a lamb that had been caught by thorns and thistles and briars. Because if it was, it would be bruised. It would not be perfect. This had to be a perfect sacrifice. And a ram provided a perfect sacrifice. Because the Bible's explicit here. It was caught by its horns. When I think of Christ, Christ had to be a perfect sacrifice. And if it wasn't, there was no hope for us. Christ was the perfect sacrifice. No human could take our place. Only the spotless Lamb of God could die on that cross and bear our sin. Just a second thought, and I do leave it with this. When I was a young man, verse 5 always puzzled me. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I'll the lad will go yonder and worship, and come to you again. And when I was a young lad, I thought, Oh, so Abraham's not going to do it. He's going to chicken out. I wonder why they were able to say, and the lad will go yonder and worship and come to you again. Abraham clearly believed in a resurrection. And if you read Hebrews 11, and particularly verse 19, that will bring it out. You see, one of the most wonderful things about our faith is this that when we die we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus he was the first to rise from the dead and we too will rise and there'll be no distinction the queen will be no different to you and me in glory. It's wonderful that Jesus died on a cross bearing our sin. But on this first day of the week, let's just be thankful he is not dead. He is risen. And you see, if people come and say, well, all religions are the same, I say utter rubbish. 
for many reasons, but for one reason above any other. You look at the leaders of every other religion in the world. They lived, they died, they're buried, and they are still buried. I look at Jesus. He died. He lived. He died. He was buried. But death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. And today he lives in glory. And one day he will come again. And whatever crowns we may have, we'll lay them at his feet. And acknowledge him as King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Do you know I love Genesis 22? It just thrills my heart to see a man of obedience. Tested by God. And yet loved by God. And a man who believed what God said was true. Oh, my friends, let's be of that same character and just believe that what God says is true and be obedient to it. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the life of your servants Abraham and Isaac, obedient in different ways, but yet trusted in you. And thank you, Father, that you send a great message here, that while you spared Isaac, we thank you that you didn't spare your son, but you delivered him up for us all. And how we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for that one sacrifice of himself. We thank you this Sunday morning we're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but we are redeemed by his precious blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. But we thank you that when death come, the grave will not hold us either, because he lives we too shall live also. And we rejoice in that fact this morning. So bless us and help us now. For your name's sake. Amen. Let's go and sing a great hymn. 113. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Let's stand and sing.
celebrate our rejoicing through Jesus the Son, the purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our rapture, when Jesus we see. Thank <laughs> you. 